Section 16 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 8. Pomona Once More, Part 2. Before supper we all went down to the barn to see the milking. Pomona, who knew all about such things, having been on a farm in her first youth, was to be the milkmaid. But when she began operations, she did no more than begin. Milk as industriously as she might, she got no milk. "'This is a queer cow,' said Pomona. "'Are you sure you know how to milk?' asked Euphemia anxiously. "'Can I milk? Why, of course, ma'am, I've seen him milk hundreds of times.' "'But you never milked yourself?' I remarked. "'No, sir, but I know just how it's done.' That might be, but she couldn't do it, and at last we had to give up the matter in despair, and leave the poor cow until morning." when Pomona was to go for a man who occasionally worked on the place, and engage him to come and milk for us. That night, as we were going to bed, I looked out of the window at the barn which contained the cow, and was astonished to see that there was a light inside of the building. "'What!' I exclaimed. "'Can't we be left in peaceful possession of a cow for a single night?' And taking my revolver, I hurried downstairs and out of doors, forgetting my hat in my haste. Euphemia screamed after me to be careful, and to keep the pistol pointed away from me. I whistled for the dog as I went out, but to my surprise he did not answer. "'Has he been killed?' I thought, and for a moment I wished that I was a large family of brothers, all armed. But on my way to the barn I met a person approaching with a lantern and a dog. It was Pomona, and she had a milk pail on her arm. "'See here, sir,' she said, "'it's more than half full.' i just made up my mind that I'd learn to milk if it took me all night. I didn't go to bed at all, and I've been at the barn for an hour. And there ain't no need of my going after no man in the morning, she said, hanging up the barn key on its nail. I simply mention this circumstance to show what kind of a girl Pomona had grown to be. We were all the time at work in some way, improving our little place. Some day we will buy it, said Euphemia. We intended to have some wheat put in, in the fall, and next year we would make the place fairly crack with luxuriance. We would divide the duties of the farm, and among other things Euphemia would take charge of the chickens. She wished to do this entirely herself, so that there might be one thing that should be all her own, just as my work in town was all my own. As she wished to buy the chickens, and defray all the necessary expenses out of her own private funds, I could make no objection and, indeed, I had no desire to do so. She bought a chicken-book, and made herself mistress of the subject. For a week there was a strong chicken-flavor in all our conversation. This was while the poultry-yard was building. There was a chicken-house on the place, but no yard, and Euphemia intended to have a good big one, because she was going into the business to make money. "'Perhaps my chickens might buy the place,' she said, and I very much hoped they would. Everything was to be done very systematically. She would have leghorns, brahmas, and common fowls. The first, because they laid so many eggs, the second, because they were such fine big fowls, and the third, because they were such good mothers. We will eat and sell the eggs of the first and third classes, she said, and set the eggs of the second class under the hens of the third class. There seems to be some injustice in that arrangement, I said, for the first class will always be childless, the second class will have nothing to do with their offspring, while the third will be obliged to bring up and care for the children of others. But I really had no voice in this matter. 
As soon as the carpenter had finished the yard, and had made some coops and other necessary arrangements, Euphemia hired a carriage and went about the country to buy chickens. It was not easy to find just what she wanted, and she was gone all day. However, she brought home an enormous Brahma cock and ten hens, which number was pretty well equally divided into her three classes. She was very proud of her purchases, and indeed they were fine fowls. In the evening I made some allusion to the cost of all this carpentry work, carriage hire, etc., besides the price of the chickens. Oh, said she, you don't look at the matter in the right light. You haven't studied it up as I have. Now, just let me show you how this thing will pay if carried on properly. Producing a piece of paper covered with figures, she continued, I begin with ten hens, I got four common ones, because it would make it easier to calculate. After a while I set these ten hens on thirteen eggs each. Three of these eggs will probably spoil. That leaves ten chickens hatched out. Of these I will say that half die. That will make five chickens for each hen. You see, I leave a large margin for loss. This makes fifty chickens, and when we add the ten hens we have sixty fowls at the end of the first year. Next year I set these sixty, and they bring up five chickens each. I am sure there will be a larger proportion than this, but I want to be safe, and that is three hundred chickens, add the hens, and we will have three hundred and sixty at the end of the second year. In the third year, calculating in the same way, we shall have twenty-one hundred and sixty chickens. In the fourth year there will be twelve thousand nine hundred and sixty, and at the end of the fifth year, which is as far as I need calculate now, we shall have sixty-four thousand and eight hundred chickens. What do you think of that? At seventy-five cents apiece, a very low price, that would be forty-eight thousand and six hundred dollars. Now what is the petty cost of a fence and a few coops by the side of a sum like that? Nothing at all, I answered. It is lost like a drop in the ocean. I hate, my dear, to interfere in any way with such a splendid calculation as that, but I would like to ask you one question. Oh, of course, she said. I suppose you are going to say something about the cost of feeding all this poultry. That is to come out of the chickens supposed to die. They won't die. It is ridiculous to suppose that each hen will bring up but five chickens. The chickens that will live out of those I consider as dead will more than pay for the feed. That is not what I was going to ask you, although of course it ought to be considered. But you know you are only going to set common hens, and you do not intend to raise any. Now, are those four hens to do all the setting and mother work for five years, and eventually bring up over sixty-four thousand chickens? Well, I did make a mistake there, she said, coloring a little. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll set every one of my hens every year. But all those chickens may not be hens. You have calculated that every one of them would set as soon as it was old enough. She stopped a minute to think this over. Two heads are better than one, I see, she said directly. I'll allow that one half of all the chickens are roosters, and that will make the profits twenty-four thousand three hundred dollars, more than enough to buy this place. Ever so much more, I cried. This rudder grange is ours. End of section 16